Welcome back to the Plane Crash Diaries with me, your host and pilot, Desmond Latham. This episode features an air crash in 1985 as the deadliest single aircraft plane crash in history, where 520 of the 524 passengers and crew died. Remarkably, four survived. But this is also a story where the number of survivors could have been higher had the Japanese rescuers hit the ground earlier. As you'll hear, authorities were alerted about the whereabouts of the crashed plane early by American military search and rescue, but then presumed all on board had died and delayed a rescue attempt until the next day. Japanese Airlines Flight 123 served an unusual domestic route, although the plane used was a comparatively large Boeing 747SR, which means short range. It was a domestic Japan Airlines passenger flight from Tokyo's Haneda Airport to Osaka International Airport that took off on the 12th of August 1985. During the flight, the Boeing suffered a sudden decompression 12 minutes after takeoff and then crashed later into the area near Mount Tagamagahara around 100 kilometers from Tokyo. The story also features the heroic attempts by the pilots to fly the plane after most of the horizontal stabilizer on the tail had been ripped off and led to the loss of all hydraulic controls for the entire plane. What made this accident even more deadly was the special seating where economy class had been reconfigured, allowing for 509 passengers to be wedged into the fuselage. It was these economies of scale that led to the large number of passengers on board. The Boeing was 11 years old, which is fairly young for a plane designed to last decades. The first flight was on January 28, 1974, and it had accumulated just over 25,000 flight hours. It had also logged over 18,800 cycles of takeoff, cabin pressurization, and cabin depressurization, and then landing. This kind of flight increases the mechanical demands on the plane, and as we'll see, this was one of the reasons why a bulkhead failed at the back of the aircraft. But the real problem was that it had suffered an extremely heavy landing and a tail strike in 1978, which had damaged the rear pressure bulkhead. As we'll hear, the bulkhead was incorrectly repaired. With the plane landing and taking off so often as this one was doing, the weakened fix was repeatedly flexed until it broke. So let's go over what happened on August 12, 1985. The flight was around the Obon holiday period in Japan when many Japanese people make yearly trips to their hometowns or resorts and there were a large number of families on board. 21 non-Japanese boarded the flight including passengers from the UK, China, West Germany, the United States, India, Italy and South Korea. Incidentally, the four survivors were all women and were seated on the left side of the rear of the aircraft between seat numbers 54 and 60. Among the dead was singer Kyo Sakamoto, who was famous for the hit song known in the United States under the title Sukiyaki. Pilots were Captain Masami Takahama, who was also serving as a training instructor for First Officer Yutaka Sasaki and was supervising the younger man while handling radio communications. Takahama was a veteran pilot, having logged 12,400 hours and 4,850 flying Boeing 747s. He was 49 years old. First Officer Yutaka Sasaki was in line for promotion to the rank of Captain and flew Flight 123 as one of his training exercises, as I've explained. Sasaki, who was 39 years old at the time of the accident, had 4,000 total flight hours and logged 2,650 on 747s. 
There was also a flight engineer on board, Hiroshi Fukuda, who was a 46-year-old and had logged 9,800 flight hours, 3,850 of which were flying on board 747s. They were highly experienced. This all began at 6.04 in the early evening when Flight 123 was pushed back from Gate 18 and took off from runway 15 left at Haneda Airport in Ota, Japan. 12 minutes after takeoff and close to its cruising altitude over Sagami Bay, the rear pressure bulkhead failed. The ceiling collapsed near the rear toilets and the rapid decompression damaged the unpressurized fuselage of the plane, then broke the vertical stabilizer support and severed all four hydraulic lines. The pilots immediately sent their transponder to 7700, which is distress signals, which told air traffic control they had a problem. Shortly after this, Captain Takahama contacted Tokyo Area Control Center to declare an emergency and to request to return to Haneda Airport, descending and following emergency landing vectors to Oshima. Tokyo Control approved a right-hand turn on heading 90 east back towards Oshima, but the plane did not follow the directions and continued to fly a westerly course. The pilots realized that the plane had become uncontrollable and the flight engineer reported the hydraulic pressure was dropping. Air traffic control contacted the aircraft again as they noticed the plane was still flying west and away from Haneda. A minute later, Captain Takahama reported the plane was uncontrollable, but they managed to begin using the engines to turn and to maintain some kind of altitude, but the aircraft was beginning to plunge and rise in oscillations called pugoid cycles, lasting 90 seconds each. Things were about to get worse for all on board, as the lack of a vertical stabilizer and rudder control meant the plane began what is known as a Dutch roll, where this is yawing left and right. The Boeing began to bank right, then yawing back left and banking left in large arcs of around 50 degrees. This is substantial movement, and the passengers were already facing decompression and using oxygen masks. It must have been terrifying. For some reason, the captain and first officer did not don their masks, although the plane was around 20,000 feet, and it meant that they would experience hypoxia within less than a minute. The pilots were desperately trying to exercise some sort of control and established a form of stability using differential engine thrust. They were increasing power to climb and decreasing power to descend, but at least now they were heading back towards Haneda. It was still daylight. They had a chance. The plane rose and fell in an altitude range of between 20,000 and 24,000 feet for more than 15 minutes from the moment of decompression until approximately 1800 hours 40, 20 to 7 p.m. in the evening, with the pilots seemingly unable to figure out how to descend without flight controls. It's thought this was because of the effects of hypoxia, which had created more confusion, the pilots having difficulty comprehending their situation as the plane pitched and rolled they still didn't have their oxygen masks on. A cabin crew member can be heard on the cockpit voice recorder telling pilots that most passenger masks had now stopped working. They were short-term solution in decompression where the pilot usually descends rapidly to at least 10,000 feet. But of course, they couldn't descend properly because the plane was not controllable in the strictest sense. The cockpit voice recorder then revealed that the flight engineer did say they should put on their oxygen masks but the pilots still failed to do this. Investigators believe it was because they were probably suffering from extreme hypoxia, their judgment now severely impaired. 
Their voices can be heard clearly on the cockpit area microphone for the entire duration up until the crash, which is proof that they did not put their masks on at any time. A bit of a shock for pilots who are trained to don them quickly when there's a decompression at cruising altitude. Eventually, the pilots managed to dampen the Pugoid cycle of up and down, but the Dutch roll was another matter. It's virtually impossible for a human to adjust four engines enough to control your, at least that was according to experts after this accident. They then thought they should lower the landing gear to dampen both the yawing and descending. At first it appeared to be working. The rapid rising and falling slowed, but now it also meant the pilots could not control the direction at all. This, unfortunately, was the beginning of the end. The plane began a right-hand descending turn from 22,400 feet to 17,000 feet, but was heading north, and to the northwest there were mountains that rose thousands of feet. The plane descended further to 13,500 feet by 6.45 p.m. when Captain Takahama repeated that the plane was uncontrollable. Moments later, it turned to the left, directly towards these mountains, despite the crew's attempts to get the plane to turn right. As the aircraft continued west, they descended below 7,000 feet, which improved oxygen levels for all on board. Suddenly, though, it climbed back to 8,000 feet, where the plane then stalled. After increasing power in all engines, the first officer suggested lowering flaps because of the stall. The captain said they couldn't work because the hydraulics had failed, but the engineer reminded the crew that they could use the backup electrical system. At 6.51 p.m., flaps were lowered 5 degrees, then 10 degrees, but this caused the Boeing to begin an inexorable bank to the right. A minute later, the flaps were extended 25 degrees, but this caused the plane to dip and bank to the right by up to 60 degrees, which is a steep turn. It was going into what aviators fear, something called a spiral dive. Captain Takahama ordered the flaps to be retracted, shouting as he did so. Then he shouted for more power to be applied as they continued in a right-hand descent towards the mountains. The plane disappeared from radar at 6.56 p.m. at 6,800 feet. In the final moments, the fourth engine clipped the ridge of a mountain. Then the plane flipped on its back and crashed and exploded on the second ridge near Mount Takahamagara. Throughout this terrible incident, the United States Air Force was monitoring events from Yokota Air Base, close to the flight path of JAL-123. During the crisis, they told Japanese controllers that the plane could use their military base if required. After losing radar contact, a U.S. Air Force C-130 from the 345th TAS team was tasked to search for the missing plane. The C-130 crew was the first to spot the crash site 20 minutes after impact. It was still daylight. There were survivors, but at this point, no one knew that. The crew radioed the location to the Japanese and the U.S. Yokota Air Base and directed a helicopter from Yokota to the crash site. Rescue teams were assembled and prepared to lower Marines from helicopters. But for some reason, which has never been fully explained, the Japanese declined. This would doom many of the injured to death and would feature heavily later in the stories of passengers who did survive. Hearing fellow passengers crying for help for the whole night and then falling silent as they died of the injuries one by one would be very difficult for the Japanese to explain. Right now, the Japanese government said that Japan's self-defense forces, or JSDF, would take over. No help was necessary. 
The Americans had found the Boeing's crash point at 5,135 feet on a ridge running east to west. It was one of the most inhospitable areas in the entire region, and Time magazine called the area the Tibet of the local prefecture. A JSDF helicopter later spotted the wreck, but by now it was close to night, and they believed there were no survivors. They were wrong. Admittedly, poor visibility and the difficult mountainous terrain had prevented the helicopter from landing at the site, and the pilot reported from the air, no survivors. Based on this report, JSDF personnel on the ground did not set out to the site on the night of the crash. Instead, they were dispatched to spend the night at a makeshift village, erecting tents, constructing helicopter landing ramps, and engaging in other preparations 63 kilometers from the crash site. Rescue teams did not set out for the site until the following morning. Medical staff later found bodies with injuries suggesting that individuals had survived the crash, only to die from shock, exposure overnight in the mountains, or from injuries that have tended to earlier would not have been fatal. One doctor said, if the discovery had come 10 hours earlier, we could have found more survivors. One of the four survivors out of the 524 passengers and crew recounted from her hospital bed that she recalled bright lights and the sound of a helicopter rotors shortly after she awoke amid the wreckage, and while she could hear screaming and moaning from other survivors, these sounds gradually died away during the night. The entire incident was linked to something that had happened seven years earlier. The aircraft was involved in a tail strike at Osaka International Airport, which damaged the aircraft's rear pressure bulkhead. The repair of the bulkhead did not conform to Boeing's approved repair methods. For reinforcing a damaged bulkhead, Boeing's repair procedure calls for one continuous metal plate with three rows of rivets. However, the Boeing technicians carrying out the repair had used two plates parallel to the stress crack. Cutting the plate in this manner negated the effectiveness of one of the rows of rivets reducing that part's resistance to what's known as fatigue cracking to about 70% of what it should have been. That 30% was all that was needed. The Accident Investigation Commission calculated that this incorrect installation would fail after approximately 10,000 pressurization cycles. The aircraft accomplished 12,318 successful flights from the time that the faulty repair was made to the crash. It's like taking a piece of thin aluminium and bending it back and forth at a point. Eventually, it cracks. Consequently, after repeated pressurization cycles during normal flight, the bulkhead gradually started to crack near one of the two rows of rivets holding it together. When it finally failed, the resulting rapid decompression ruptured the lines of all four hydraulic systems and ejected the vertical stabilizer. With many of the aircraft's flight controls disabled, it became uncontrollable. The crash led to the 2006 opening of the Safety Promotion Center, which is located in the Daini Sogo building in the grounds of Haneda Airport. There were many unforeseen repercussions after this crash. The Japanese public's confidence in Japan Airlines took a dramatic downturn. Aircraft commercial aviation traffic dipped 25%. JAL numbers dipped by one-third. JAL then paid $7.6 million to the victim's relatives in the form of condolence money without admitting liability. JAL President Yasumoto Takagi resigned 
In the aftermath of the incident, Hiru Tominaga, a JAL maintenance manager, killed himself to atone for the incident, while Susumi Tajima, an engineer who had inspected and cleared the aircraft as flightworthy, also committed suicide. In compliance with standard procedures, Japan Airlines then dropped the flight number 123 for their Haneda-Itami routes, changing it to flight 121 on September 1st, 1985. While Boeing 747s were still used on the same route operating with the new flight numbers in the years following the crash, they were all replaced by Boeing 767 or Boeing 777s in the mid-90s. The 747s continued serving JAL until their 2011 retirement. It's time for a short history of plane crashes that are caused, this time, by maintenance. Almost 12% of all accident reports cite maintenance as a factor, while a third of these was down to error. From 1994 to 2004, maintenance problems have contributed to 42% of fatal airline accidents in the United States. Aviation maintenance-related incidents and accidents are caused by a breakdown of the organization process, decisions, and culture. That was the case in the Japan Airlines example this week. Engineers couldn't get their equipment easily into the tight space of the bulkhead and so cut their safety plate in half. It wasn't until a huge section of a lower airline's Flight 243's fuselage blew off in 1988 that the National Transportation Safety Board in the US tightened its maintenance requirements. The Boeing 737 was at 24,000 feet and climbing when the plane started coming apart, sweeping a flight attendant to her death. Miraculously, it managed to land. Investigators later determined that the 19-year-old plane had succumbed to corrosion and widespread fatigue. It may have been prevented, investigators said, if stricter inspection and maintenance procedures for high-use aircraft had been in place, which they are now. Today, aviation experts have learned a lot from past tragedies, and strict standards are placed on the inspection and maintenance of aircraft. It can't always prevent tragedy from striking at 34,000 feet, but it can serve as a line of defense in the effort to avert death and keep people safe. And aircraft mechanics, believe it or not, are on the front lines. There are many other accidents caused by slapdash maintenance, but that's enough for this week. Next episode, we'll take a look at crashes caused by poorly designed aircraft. Until then, aviate, navigate and communicate safely. Goodbye.